What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, and with me, as always, is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It is going really well. Um, I'm feeling a little tired today. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if you've heard of any sleep aids or anything in the, that might help with that. Well, what a random thing that not was not at all planned, because I have a sleep aid right here for you. It's called Highlands Calms Forte. Ooh, that's okay. fancy. Uh, it is a homeopathic remedy, which means it's all natural and safe, uh, and it's supposed to make you drowsy. That's the idea. Hmm. And I also um, am feeling a little drowsy. We thought we'd talk about homeopathic medicine today, so I went out to the store and I bought this, and I'm feeling very wired today. Uh, so this this bottle that I have in my hand has 50 tablets. So I'm just going to take all 50. That should probably take care of it, right? Wait, wait, wait. You're taking 50 tablets? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you don't want – that is a f- – I so, – so, <laughs> so I have not – I just opened this bottle right in front of Jared, and oh. I was vastly underestimating just how oh. many pills are in my hand right now. Uh, so, yes, I'm going to take all 50 just to prove a point. Uh, and while I'm choking down all these pills, Jared's going to talk about the fallacy of the day. <laughs> So the fallacy of the day is the anecdotal fallacy. So uh, watching Jordan take down all these that's, pills. Is, that's a lot of pills. Nice. Um, so, wow. Okay, I, I got distracted here. So this is uh, using isolated specific anecdotes as evidence for a much broader claim. So, for example, you could say, there's no way smoking is bad for you. My grandfather smoked every day and he lived until he was 90. You may have also heard somebody say, there's no way, you know, eating bacon is bad for you. My grandfather ate bacon every day and he never had a heart attack. Um, Grandfather had a good life, smoking every day, eating bacon all the time. Exactly. So, um, so curiously here, the plural of anecdote is not data, right? Yeah, it's. So a lot of it's kind of human nature that we tend to latch on to like emotional stories. We're storytelling beings, right? Yeah. But. And so everybody has the story from their mother's cousin's hairdresser that tried this thing and it worked out. And that is persuasive to them. Way more persuasive than some random person in a lab coat they've never met, you know, in some medical journal. An anecdote can be plagued with all kinds of problems because there's no controls for all the various things that be going wrong. The story could be changed. But, like, imagine you get the flu. And you're feeling really sick and you're desperate and you Google it up and you find someone say that if you rub like strawberry jam all over your body or on your chest, like Vicks vapor rub or something, that'll cure it. And so you do it and the next day, boom, you're fine. Maybe the strawberry jam did it or maybe you just got better. You know? Yeah. So it's also important. I mean, sometimes you may have heard the the phrase correlation is not causation. Um which is not exactly the anecdotal fallacy, but I think it plays into that here. And it's easy. It's, it's important to keep that in, in your mind, you know, like just because somebody has a good anecdote for something doesn't mean it's the reason why doesn't mean it's not, um, right. but it doesn't mean it's the reason why. So that fallacy is going to play into what we're talking about today. Like we said, we're going to talk about homeopathy, homeopathy, whatever. Homeopathy. Homeopathy. So uh, if you haven't heard it, it's the it's actually really hard to find. So what what homeopathic remedies are? They're like an alternative medicine. Um, by the way, what do they call 
alternative medicine that works. We call it medicine. They call it medicine. That's right. But it is an alternative remedy. And uh, if you like go into the pharmacy. So when I went to go buy this stuff, I was in there to get like medicine for my wife, Kim. She has like a sore throat. So I was going to get her some stuff. And I remembered we were doing this podcast. So I thought it'd be fun to do this test, which uh, James, Randy and others have done. Um, And it was actually really hard for me to find this, not because they were hiding it, not like it was out of the way. It wasn't. It was right in the middle of all of the other traditional medications, right? And it wasn't, it was, there is a tiny, tiny thing like right in the corner. It says homeopathic, but you can barely see it. Like I only found it because I had heard the name comes forte and knew what I was looking for. But if I didn't know that, I would have no idea that this was a homeopathic remedy. Yeah. So you could literally just be an average Joe or Jane in the CVS or pharmacy, like, oh, I need a sleep aid because i'm having trouble sleeping and you grab that one it's got a cool name right exactly and it, it looks nice and it looks looks you know what the kind of packaging you get on every other kind of thing in cvs so it'd be very easy to get one of these without realizing what you're getting and as we're going to talk about today what you're actually getting is nothing or very close to nothing <laughs> Which is why I just ate 50 pills of nothing. Uh, (laughs) Is there an FDA warning or packaging on that thing at all? No. So I'm looking at it, and there's nothing about the FDA. Uh, If you look on the back, it does look very official, you know, like like every other kind of drug you've ever seen. It has directions um, and active ingredients. But there's – so here's at the bottom – Claims based on traditional homeopathic practice, not accepted medical evidence, not FDA evaluated. But it's at the bottom. They're not exactly hiding it, but they're not exactly highlighting it either. Um, And it includes such things as Avena Sativa 4XHPUS and Calceria Phosphorica 3XHPUS. Now, what does that mean? What the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to get into that in a minute. But first, let's talk about where homeopathy came from okay where where this started it all started it's about 200 years old so it got its start back in 1814 a gentleman by the name of samuel hanneman who was actually was a medical doctor um he got his medical degree in 1779 and he took a crack at being a normal like doctor doctor uh, but it wasn't working very well He, he was kind of struggling and then he stumbled on uh, a principle that he called like for like cures like. So what happened was he was chewing on this bark, this synco- cinchona bark. Um, that bark contains quinine, which is an actual compound used to treat malaria. Okay. Um, uh, malaria caused by a particular parasite, Plasmodium falciparum. And so he chewed the bark and, you know, it helped with the malaria because that, the quinine in it actually does help. But he believed that it helped because the bark caused similar symptoms to the malaria, but in much like smaller amounts. Right. Okay. So kind of like the idea, like you, you fight fire with fire. Right. Or it kind of, he pointed to vaccines, like you use cowpox to help prevent smallpox, right. same kind of thing. Right. And so he thought that if you, if you wanted to treat an illness, say you wanted to treat like a stomach bug, you would give the patient something, a medicine that when given to a healthy person would make them feel nauseous or throw up or whatever. 
but you want to give it to them. So that's the first pillar, like cures like. Then the second pillar was you want to give it that medication, quote unquote, or that thing to them um, in the smallest amount possible. Okay. And because you that, don't want too much, right? Because otherwise you would hurt them. So you would think that would be why, right? That's that's why I would think why. I mean, you, you don't want to overdose them, but that's actually not, I don't know. Now, the, the first part, the like here is like, I can kind of see like why you'd go there, you know, and maybe in 200 years ago, it wasn't completely unreasonable to at least explore. But then he made a huge leap. I don't know exactly how he made this leap. Nobody said <laughs> in any of the sources I found, but then he went from, so the idea that dilution increases potency. And he thought that if you diluted the water, but, but you diluted it while shaking it, that the water would retain this therapeutic power through this process called potentization, which is mm. mixing it in while shaking. It would persist as a dematerialized spiritual force. Wait, wait you lost me there. <laughs> so here's how the process works. Um, and this is going to get into the cons forte that I have. So the first ingredient was Avena Sativa 4X HPUS, right? And so 4X means it's decimally diluted four times. So you take your original substance, you dilute it one part of the original substance to te- to nine parts of your dilution, usually so water or whatever. nine ratio. Yeah. And then you do that four more times. So for 2x, you take your 1x, which is already diluted, you do one part of that to another nine parts of water. So now you're 1 in 99. And then for 3x, you do that again. So by the time... So for instance, this Avena Sativa, which is just oatmeal, uh, the 4x that I just ingested... It's been diluted to the point where after the 50 pills I just ate, I have 0.0005 of the original concentration. Of oatmeal. Of oatmeal, right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the same goes for all the rest. Calcarea, phosphorica, 3X, chamomile, 4X. It goes on. They're all very fancy sounding names, but they're all, these are all 3X or 4X diluted. So what he, Hanneman, recommended was a 60C dilution. So these were all 4X, right? That's a decimal. So C, I'm thinking, is 100. Yes, exactly. So uh, C is the, what do they call it? Centesimal. So you have decimal and centesimal. It's the same process, except instead of going 1 to 9, so you're going like to a 10% dilution, it's 1 to 100. So it's 10 times it's diluted. 60 times? And that, yeah, 60 times was the one he recommended. Now, they claim that the more dilute it gets, the more potent it gets, right? If after 4C, after 4C dilutions, you reach the lab definition for pure water. Pure water is considered pure by a lab when it's like pure to the part, 10 parts in a billion. Yeah, we're talking like Flint standards of water, right? Like, we're talking like this is this is like if you need to use water in an experiment and it needs to be pure, this okay. is the purity you need. And we're only at 4C. Once you get to 13C, if you used water, there would be – it'd be statistically unlikely there would be any original molecules left. Rex, did they get like 
I mean, I don't know. I'm not a science, science, like lab person here, but like at some point, like you're beyond like even like a single atom, right? Like, yeah. So you're below the molar limit. So there's only so many atoms in a mole of things, right? right. When you, ha- you, ha- you have, if you had like one mole per liter, th- if you diluted that so much, you would get to the point where it'd be very unlikely there'd be any atoms of your original substance left because they'd just be spread out so much, right? The chances of you actually making that into the final solution is pretty Very slim. well, yeah. right. So it, so for instance, at the 60C uh, dilution, you'd have to deliver an average of 2 billion doses to 6 billion people every second for 4 billion years before you got any original substance that's <laughs> to <insane>. anybody. <laughs> but, but, but that's... but. The substance isn't what's important here, right? Because Hanneman thought that it increased potency. So even though the original substance wasn't there, his idea was that the water actually retained that information. Like it learned and it like kept that in right. its properties, right? Through the, the shaking, yeah, which they call potentization, but let's not get twisted. They're shaking it. So, or banging it on their hand is another accepted method. So yeah, they believed that through the shaking, even though there wasn't any of the original stuff left, it kind of taught the water. Water has memory is a phrase you hear from them. He called it a dematerialized spiritual force. The homeopaths of today have kind of moved away from that more woo sounding to water has memory, I guess somewhat less woo sounding thing. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, yes, some, something about this shaking imparts a property on the water. I mean, just off face value, that seems ridiculous. Um, also, it, it flies in the face of like just common like sense, right? Um, right. Like the way that your body interacts with chemicals that you ingest, whether it's medicine or anything else, is it like it takes a molecule and breaks it down. Like that's how that it, it absorbs it into itself, yeah. the actual thing, you know, there's there's no difference between a water, a water molecule is a water molecule is a water molecule. They're all water, you know? Well, so I did a little research on this, uh, Samuel Hahnemann, Hahnemann guy. And what I found, it was a little interesting was in his early practice, what he was doing was he wasn't only prescribing these, uh, homeopathic, um, solutions. He was also prescribing like a very limited, restricted lifestyle and diet. So he was cutting out, dairy, meat, he was cutting out sugars, he was cutting, he was uh, prescribed no sedentary lifestyle, so like no sitting around, he cut out masturbation, you couldn't read pornographic literature. He basically made it so like what people were eating was a very healthy diet and they had a very active lifestyle and they were, you know, I mean, the masturbation is up to debate, but um, a very mentally stable kind of lifestyle where they were engaging with other human beings and they were being social and stuff. Um, so it's no surprise that the people he were treating, uh, actually may have improved in whatever their ailments were. Yeah. And that's a good point. So we talked about the first two pillars, like cures like, and dilution includes increases potency that kind of ties into the third pillar, which is whole body treatment. They treat the whole patient. Yeah. Right. And so, when they give a treatment, they meet with you for several hours and talk about like your entire lifestyle. And in addition to giving you here's a homeopathic remedy, they'll also talk about like your sleep schedule and exercising and all that other stuff. And all of that is good, right? But 
that muddies the water. You know, at, at, like you said, if you change your diet and you increase exercise and you're going outside more and all that, and also you chew this tea leaf, well, maybe it's the other stuff. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny. So, so the way you test that, right, there's a way we would test that. We would test it with a clinical trial. Like a double blind study or something. Right, which we've talked about on this podcast before. And it's ironic because homeo- homeopathy, which is complete nonsense, and we'll get into the data in a minute, but it ironically has contributed to humanity in the sense that it, it actually helped invent double blind randomized trials. Which is so very ironic, isn't it? Yeah. So here's how it was. Here's how it went down. So Hanneman is doing his thing and it's gotten more popular. It's not just Hanneman now. It's like sweeping through Europe. And in 1835 in Nuremberg, the upper crust of Bavaria was really into homeopathy. And this pissed off Frederick Wilhelm Wilhelm von Hoven, Mm, who was a doctor. Mm. Yeah. Who was a von Hoven was a doctor in Bavaria, and he was very miffed at this, and he published just a crushing critique of homeopathy. He said it lacked all scientific foundation, it was terrible, just ripped it apart. In response, Johann Jacob Reuter, who was a homeopathic physician in Nuremberg, he challenged Friedrich to try a C30 dilution, so that's, again, uh, the salt had been diluted one to 130 times and he wanted to he challenged him to see its effects so free double blind clinical trials did not exist before here but friedrich and various physicians in nuremberg invented them out of spite just to <laughs> just to prove a point so what they did is they went to like a pub and they numbered the vials they told they published in advance what they were going to do here's how we're going to run this trial then they numbered uh, vials split them randomly into two lots one lot was filled with distilled snow water the other was prepared according to the instructions of of reuter the homeopathic physician a single grain of salt was added to a hundred drops of stone water then that solution was distilled 29 times at a ratio of one to 100 which means that you have that one grain of salt then you take that add it one part to a hundred of water, then take that and add one part to a hundred, then that and one part over and over 29 times. Okay. The, the pharmacist they recruited to do this had taken two days to prepare for this. They cleaned themselves, they cleaned all their equipment and they used scales that had never before been used on anything, brand new scales. So there's no hope of contamination. Then on the day of, they handed these prepared vials to a commission that had no part in preparing. They didn't know what was in them or they didn't know which was which. Right. And then that commission handed them to the participants. And then they got uh, all of the feedback. And what they found was that they wanted people to tell them if they experienced anything unusual. And five came back and said they had, and they'd got homeopathy and three who had just received water did. So about the same. And this, I mean, if you think about it, they, they just like came out of the blue with this. If you look at how this would compare to a modern trial, the protocol was designed and announced in advance. There was a control group that received a placebo. There was uh, and another group that got the medication being tested. The assignment to the groups was completely random. 
the test was double blind. Neither the people taking the medicine or the people distributing the medicine knew which was which. The results of both were compiled and they reported any irregularities. Like this was a well-designed study. Like they nailed it on their first go. <laughs> That's pretty remarkable, actually. I mean, you have a randomized controlled double blind study. And they the did bar. it all in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all all studies should be done in bars, I'm just gonna say. Like Right. I mean, well, the first one was. So yeah. so that started a grand tradition of studies on homeopathy that continues all the way to today. And so it, like you said, the, the premise is just ridiculous. The yeah. idea that the water, if you shake it and un, it has this unbound spiritual energy, what does that even mean? You know, and, and, and it, it's like, okay, so the water can remember this bit of red onion. I shook it up, but it doesn't remember all the dinosaur poop that was in it. Like, yeah. You know? well, I mean, if you really think about it too, water, I mean, the same water molecules are just floating around the earth. Like, it's not like they, you know, go away. Right. So like, think about how much shit is in our water molecules. Like from the ocean, it gets evaporated and it comes down to rain and then it evaporates. And like, how much, it, how much it, potency would be in the water in the world today? Like, Right. And granted, not all of that water was shooken up while it was submerged oh, with it wasn't Dave, right? but maybe But, but I mean, <laughs> sometimes it's going to be agitated, right? Like how shook is shook, you know? Right. But anyways, ridiculousness aside, it has been studied. And so you can look for tons of different studies, but I've got two that I'm going to share today. The first one I'm going to share is actually from a friendly source. So it, the journal in air quotes, of alternative and complementary medicine, mm. which is a journal specifically to study alternative medicine like homeopathy. So these are as friendly a source as you could get while right. still being having even a vestige of peer review. Real quick, before we move on, like we could have stopped and said, this claim is ridiculous. We don't need to look into this. But because we're good skeptics and someone made a claim, we're going to look into it. I mean, a lot of things might have sounded ridiculous before you had evidence. Yeah. You know, so. the idea that, like, if a sphere is flying through space really fast, it becomes flat like a pancake. Well, that doesn't that, – that kind of seems kind of silly, but it's true. Yeah. So, anyway, so the journal – this journal published a paper in 2006, Homeopathic Combination Remedy in the Treatment of Acute Childhood Diarrhea in Honduras by Jacobs et al., and it was kind of a smaller study. They treated 292 kids for diarrhea. They, like all double blinds, just like our one in Bavaria, they gave some patients a placebo. They gave some homeopathic treatments. And then they compared over a seven-day period how often they recovered, you know, how good their poops were, et cetera. And turns out there was basically no difference. The placebo worked just as well as the homeopathic homeopathic remedy now i think we should say take a moment here to talk about placebos because if you didn't have that piece what you would get from this study is that say you had one group who was given nothing and used them as control and then you gave another group this homeopathic remedy you would probably find that the group who had been given the remedy was a little bit better off right, right? because placebo does have an effect like if yeah. the mind has the ability to manifest things um mind body relationship all that stuff so so placebos for those 
who may not be aware, what a placebo is, it's a fake cure. It, it's a cure that has nothing in it. Usually it's like a sugar pill, or if it's like an injection, it's just saline, which is just water with salt in it. it so it has nothing in it. But when given to the person who doesn't know, they think that they might be getting a treatment. Just the fact that they are getting a treatment, regardless of what it is, tends to improve outcomes. Not a lot, but some, a measurable amount. And that's the placebo effect. Just the, the mere fact that you are doing something, even if that something is completely ineffective, helps. Which is completely weird in and of itself, but it's a thing. It's a, yeah, it is a very weird effect, but it is an extremely well-established effect to the point where if you're doing a study, you they, will, if you ha- they will almost always compare it either to a placebo, which is a placebo-controlled uh, study, or they'll test it against a, an established medicine with a good track record that they know exactly what it should be. Right. Well, the other thing to point out, too, is like if you're doing a controlled study and you tell somebody, hey, I'm not giving you X then that person knows they didn't get X. And then you tell somebody, I am giving you X, and now they know they're getting X. There is, you still have humans to interact with to report on their their feelings and stuff. So like if somebody knows they got a substance, they may report back, oh, I'm supposed to feel something or I'm supposed to have a reaction here. There's implications where they may say, I don't feel anything, but I'm supposed to, so let me report that I do. Or Or even if like, I took this pill, I feel like I took this pill in order to make me sleepy, so I'm expecting to feel sleepy. Wait, are you feeling sleepy though? No, not not in the slightest. (laughs) (laughs) But there is that that effect. Or there's some people, you know, you'll you'll give them a drink and there's no alcohol in it, but they'll start acting a little tipsy because, you know, whatever. We did that uh, when I was on a deployment one time. We got a bunch of near beer. So near beer is beer that has like zero point something percent alcohol, but we gave it to some new guys and we told them it was like real beer and they started acting all funky, you know, it's like. (laughs) Humans, Humans are weird. Is the bottom line. So that's so that that's the study there. There was no effect beyond the placebo, which you'd get from just like a sugar pill. But that was a very small sample size. So let's go bigger. In fact, let's go about as big as I've ever seen. Hmm. In 2015, the NHMRC, which is the National Health and Medical Research Council, which is ran by the Australian government, they did a massive, a gargantuan meta-analysis. So what a meta-analysis is, is is an analysis of analysis. It's a study of studies. So they went out, and this was actually a meta meta meta-analysis. So they looked at data from 1997 to 2013. They analyzed 176 systemic reviews. Which are basically meta-analysis, right? Which is another, it's a kind of meta-analysis. So all told, so those that second tier of analysis, if you took all the studies that was involved in some way or another with this paper, they looked at 1,800 peer-reviewed papers on this topic. Now, a lot of them had been tossed out. Uh, so, so they looked at all 1,800, and they, when you're doing a meta-analysis, you always have some criteria by which you filter. So they examined the studies to see how well-designed they were. Were they double-blind? Did they have a placebo or a control group? Were the Was the methodology sound? All these sort of things. What Was there a, a large sample size? 
They do all these things to make sure that the studies are well-designed. And then they'll analyze all of the well-designed studies, the studies that made it through their filtration efforts, and then see what comes out. And because you're leveraging this huge sample size, this huge data group, you can get trends that you might miss with just one or two studies. So what do they get? Looking at, what is that, three, 16 years worth of data and over almost 2,000 papers, they said, quote, based on all the evidence considered, there were no health conditions for which there was reliable evidence that homeopathy was effective. No good quality, well-designed studies with enough participants for meaningful, meaningful result reported either that homeopathy caused greater health improvements than placebo or caused health improvements equal to those of another treatment. That is a nail in a coffin if I have ever seen one from peer-reviewed research. Just straight up, absolutely no effect. It's not even better than placebo. It's the same. Like you mentioned earlier, we did a podcast on Reiki, and at least Reiki sometimes in some studies outdid the placebo. Right. You know, it it wasn't by a lot. There's reasons to think that that's probably an artifact, but at least it had something that this is just had nothing. (laughs) This is a nonbo from the start. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then, okay, so this is very interesting though. So they did that analysis, right? And they concluded nothing, but they wanted to make sure that they weren't being biased or like not, they weren't missing anything or, you know, Whenever you talk about this, the other side's, well, it's always big pharma and they don't want to talk about it, you know, blah, blah, blah. So what they did was they did that first phase and then they let they put out a call to the public and to homeopathic interest groups, people whose entire existence is to promote homeopathy. And they said, here's our analysis. Give us your best evidence. What is the best thing, the best studies that we didn't include? Give us your best evidence. And they got 42 more studies from that group, and it didn't change the outcome at all. They said the studies <laughs> were either flawed and didn't and not well designed, so they weren't like double blind, they weren't large sample size, et cetera, or they didn't show them to be effective. We harp on meta-analysis a lot on this podcast because of their effectiveness in showing large trends among studies and stuff. I've never seen a meta-analysis so large with such a definitive claim, right? Most times they'll couch their bets a little bit and kind of, you know, this, that language they use was specifically. Yeah. yeah. It, if you read a lot of, of peer reviewed papers, usually you get, they tend to be very conservative in the sense that they, they don't make sweeping claims. They part of the mark of a good paper is that they're only talking as far as the evidence in the paper will talk about. In fact, there was a, a paper that I read on homeopathy that got critiqued by other scientists, not because their conclusions they thought were wrong, but because they, it included like an editorial section where they talked about how terrible homeopathy was. And other scientists were like, whoa, you can't do that. Like, you need to only talk about what your evidence talks about. And even though I agree with everything you said, your evidence doesn't say that. Right. And... So, so to have a paper this big who just say, we looked at all the evidence and there is no effect yeah, is okay. huge. I'd like to go back to your pills that you took 50 plus pills earlier. No, it was exactly 50. Okay, 50. Okay. Get our dosage right. Okay. Your dosage was 50. Um, 
So if we, if we think about homeopathy for a second and why someone might think that that's effective, the way that homeopathy works is that you sit down with the homeopath and they will talk with you, have a nice consultation with you, and they're going to do several things. One, they're going to look at your lifestyle. They're going to look at your diet. They're going to look at all these extra things. So if Jordan said, I'm having trouble sleeping, not only are they going to give him this magic pill, they're also going to say, hey, maybe you should stop looking at screens an hour before bedtime. Hey, maybe you should start exercising more. Hey, maybe you should start you know, eating these foods or not eating these foods. And guess what? Your sleep's going to improve. So as the person who's taking that pill, they're going to go, oh my gosh, this pill is working. When in uh, fact, it might just be lifestyle change. So, or if you don't go through the process of like talking to the homeopath, if you just like go to like what I did, go to CVS. Right. It was funny. So I was looking up this medication before the podcast and I saw that they sold it on Amazon. I was looking through the reviews and people were asking like, how effective is it? How long will it take? And there were so many, so many people who were saying, oh, it's super effective. I take two or three of these with one Ambien and I go right out. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> so many people are talking about, oh, I, I take like a sleeping pill and then two of these and it works every time. Oh my God. Like, come on. I drink a shot of water with my whiskey and I get drunk. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, yeah. Like I. I, I can't even think of like like a good comparison. It's just so ridiculous. Oh man. Maybe, well, maybe if you just took the sleeping pill, you'd also have the same effects. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could design a study to say, all right, let's give a hundred people Ambien yeah. and a hundred people uh placebo and a hundred people Ambien plus Yeah. If Calm if only Trent, whatever it's called. I don't know. If only we had a way to study this that yeah. they invented in Nuremberg for this very specific for this purpose, for this thing. Well, if, so you have nothing else from this podcast. I am super excited about the fact that I learned where double blind studies originated. Yeah, it's uh, really cool that this this thing is exactly like people are doing today. Well, it's, it's cool and also kind of depressing that the thing that this method was invented to debunk is still being used today. And it's not small. So this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. So when you mentioned Big Pharma earlier, the, the research that I had done had revealed that this is its own Big Pharma in and of itself. I mean, like you said, multi-billion dollars. I don't know if you have the exact numbers of the estimated amount of money spent on homeopathy in a year, but... So it's it's hard to get an exact estimate because it's not FDA approved. It's not regulated. There's no agency really governing these sort of remedies. But the estimates I've seen have been somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 billion in the U.S. alone. That's not chump change. And that's just the US and it's much bigger in Europe and other places. Yeah. From what so, I can see the prevalence of homeopathy is much greater in the United Kingdom and then, you know, um Western Europe. So and this brings us to why we're talking about this. So because I mean if somebody well, first, takes it's funny, right? Yeah. I mean, well first it's nonsense and we debunk nonsense for fun. Yeah. But aside from that if somebody just wants to take a couple of sugar pills, which are really all these, well, I guess it's not technically sugar. It's lactose, magnesium, stearate, microcrystalline cellulose, and starch, corn, and tapioca. Uh, who cares? It's it's not, not that big nobody. a deal. And as long as that's all that ever was, 
that's all that that would be fine. But there exists the very real risk and the fact that people will forego actual effective treatments in favor of homeopathic treatments. So they have an actual disease. So for instance, one of the papers I saw was talking about cancer treatments. Another meta-analysis. The efficacy of homeopathic therapy in cancer treatment, which was published in 2006 by Moazzo et al. The very fact that they are talking about cancer treatment and homeopathy in the same sentence is frustrating, to say the least. Because that means there was enough people who believed that homeopathy could help them with their cancer that they chose to go that route. Right. There was enough people that this was worthy of the money it took to fund a study to see if it was effective. So there are people who are foregoing actual cancer treatments in favor of what are effectively sugar pills. And that's not okay. Yeah. So the, and it's more than just the homeopaths themselves. It's companies like CVS that are putting these bottles right next to actual medicine, which gives them the air of legitimacy. You know, it's places like the NHS who spends, who subsidize some homeopathic treatments. It's all of these things that tell people, communicate to people that this is another reasonable way to get treatment when in fact it's not even snake oil. It's worse than that. I mean, you, I'm I'm going back to your taking 50 pills, which I just find ridiculous, but had those actually been any effective at all and like, and they're super potent, right? So like one pill is extremely potent and you took 50 of them. We're talking like you should be Snow White right now. Like you need to wait well, for your I, prince to come around and kiss I you. Should, <laughs> I should be calling poison control right now. <laughs> you should be dead. Like, like I have some Unisom. If I take the 50 pills of that, I should probably see a doctor. You right. know, like, any other pill bottle in the CVS that doesn't have homeopathy on it and you take 50 of them, you definitely need to be getting your guts pumped. Right. But because, but, and again, back to the harm that this yeah. can do. So if, if somebody takes these pills with the expectation they're going to get better and what they're trying to treat is something serious like cancer or COVID-19, because another thing that they try to tout is homeopathic vaccines, which I don't even know what that means. Well, do they, do they take the vaccine and dilute it down or do they like try to cut up a virus into a hundred pieces? I'm not sure. Or, or I guess light treats like, right? Yeah, so, so that what they would do is they would get something that like makes your chest all congested and maybe gives you pneumonia and then give you a little bit of that. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I guess what I'm, I'm more concerned about is like not necessarily the idiots who uh, subscribe to this, but the idiots, children and the idiots, family members, you know, that's where yeah. it really starts to get scary. It's one thing if you want to go kill yourself by foregoing actual medicine in order to get some crushed up willow bark that's been diluted a thousand times. That's fine. Whatever. But someone's kid who they're only the only fault they had was being born to morons is going to be seriously hurt or maybe even die. And, and that's not okay. Yeah. And it's important to, to bring this stuff up. So like, it may be funny to be like, Hey, Jordan took 50 pills and he's fine. But if you have a friend or family member who actually believes in homeopathy, you should call them out for it 
Ask them to give you some evidence of still why it's effective and not just anecdotal evidence as we talked about in our fallacy like hey i've been taking this forever and it seems to be working like or my uncle used it forever and he's just fine like well good for you like the end of the day if you just want to take some pills because you think they make you drowsy you're giving money to charlatans who are fleecing you out of your hard-earned money but a fool and their money assume parted whatever But if you're really sick, if there's something actually wrong, or if your kid's really sick, please go to a real doctor. Yeah. And if you know somebody who's doing this for their children, like it may be worth calling like CPS or maybe worth calling like, you know. Yeah. If if, if the neighborhood kid has leukemia and his parents are giving him sugar pills to treat it, then yes, somebody should be called to fix that. This, this is just yet another example of how a lack of skepticism can be deadly if in the wrong circumstances. It really is. I was thinking about this earlier, and this is not related to homeopathy exactly, but just more about how our lack of skepticism is leading towards all kinds of just negative effects in our culture. Right. Like people don't question anything. And well, well, they'll they'll question legitimate authorities all day, every day. Oh, yeah. But. yeah that, that's for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, but when it comes to things that actually matter, you're right. Like they just I'm really concerned about our education system and and why, you know, for people like you and I, where we read this and we're like or learn about this and it just seems like a joke. But there's other people who they hear this and they go, oh, well, that makes sense. Like, It's the public school system has failed somewhere, somehow, because uh, like every, it's a running joke. But whenever COVID started, suddenly every single person you met was an expert in, in, in <laughs> yeah. the immune um, system. Yeah, they're all uh, epidemiologists or they're virologists yeah, or something like, you know. You know, well, why don't you go do your own research, Mr. Doctor with 20 years experience in the field? Well, that may be another podcast in and of itself. So, yeah. Anyway, before we go off too many tangents and before I pass out from taking this highly effective and very potent sleeping aid. (laughs) That's our show. We hope you enjoyed it. The TLDL, I guess, since if you're going to watch this on YouTube, it's just like a moving picture without anything really to too see, long but didn't listen too long didn't listen if you just skip to the end for some reason homeopathy is nonsense and we have the evidence and the stomach contents to prove it boom so uh, we hope you enjoyed it if you did as always like comment subscribe all that jazz it really helps uh, people find this if you didn't like it let us know what we can improve if there's something you want us to tackle next some kind of topic you think is interesting hit us up on facebook facebook.com slash reason the number two doubt or you can comment on youtube or you can hit us on tri- twitter press x underscore to doubt all those things you'll see them on youtube and all links um and i guarantee you if you suggest something we'll talk about it because yet nobody has suggested anything. And not nobody. Well, not nobody. A couple, people, but a couple people. The people who have suggested it, we've covered for the most part. Yeah. So. Uh, so definitely do that. It would really help out this channel. And until next time, remember, you always have reason to doubt. Peace out.